All right, you, uh, you have a, a chicken sucker. That comes in at the end. So if you, can, uh, if you can discipline yourself enough to not eat this right now, uh, I'll bring it up in just a little while. We're going to kind of begin talking about chickens. So uh, it'll make sense, hopefully, hopefully, like in about five minutes you'll go, oh, that makes sense. So this is a little boy. Now this isn't the actual picture of the little boy. This is a kid from Kentucky who went north. And you know that's not a kid from Kentucky because he doesn't have a mullet. But anyway, um, uh, work with me on, on that. It, it's a good picture, so I, I thought I would use that one. Okay. He goes to school. He, he moves north. And, you know, northern people aren't the same as southern people. I've lived in Michigan. It's not the same as southern people. He's from Kentucky. He goes to class first day, and, and he finds himself in a situation where the teacher says, What's your favorite animal? You may have heard this story. If you've heard it at the end, laugh like you've never heard it before. Okay, so uh, he goes to class. The teacher says, what's your favorite animal? And every kid gives their favorite animal. And when they get to this little boy, he says, fried chicken. <laughs> She's not amused. And so she said, that's not funny. But the little boy, he's writing his journal. He says, well, it must have been funny because everybody laughed. And she sends him to the principal's office. And he said, what did you say? And he said, well, she asked me what my favorite animal was, and I said fried chicken, and the principal laughed, and then he told him not to do it anymore, and he goes back to class. <laughs> Next day, the teacher said, what's your favorite live animal? And every kid's giving an answer. And this little boy says, chickens. And she said, why is it your favorite animal? And he said, because you can make it into fried chicken. <laughs> Again, the teacher was not amused, although the students were she sends him to the principal's office. The principal says, what did you do? He said, well, she asked me what my favorite live animal was, and I said chicken because I can make it into fried chicken. And the principal laughs and sends him back to class and said, don't do that anymore. Day three, she says, who's your favorite, who's your favorite uh, personality? And he says, Colonel Sanders. <laughs> Again, not amused. Okay. Now, there's a funny thing about chickens. They're actually, you've heard the expression pecking order, it's real. In the chicken world, they sort of organize themselves around a pecking order. If you randomly went to ten different chicken farms and took one chicken off of each farm and put them in a pen together, within a matter of moments, there would be a pecking order. There's somebody who, there's one hen that becomes hen one, and hen one can peck any chicken uh, she wants to. And hen two can peck any chicken but chicken one. And chicken three can peck any chicken but chicken one and two. It's kind of how it works. The one chicken you don't want to be is what? You don't want to be hen ten. That's bad because if they're ten and you're number ten, everybody can pick on you and you can't pick on anybody. And it's really a, kind of an odd way to do their little society, but that's the way it works. And it causes problems for people who raise chickens. Now, if I'm lying, I'm dying. This is absolutely true. There is a product that somebody figured out produces. It's called Peck No More. You rub it on the other chickens so they don't peck each other. It, it makes them taste bad. In fact, about 100 years ago, there was a guy who invented chicken specks. This is real. And they put these little glasses on the chicken so he can't tell or she can't tell if the other chickens are bleeding. Because if they're bleeding, then they attack. It, it is brutal. 
and, and it looks like Elton John. I, I, I thought that's kind of funny. Now, there was a, a professor named Francis Ambrosia, and he writes this. There have been, generally speaking, two different ways people have pursued a meaningful life in Western history. The way of power, or the way of service and humility. And today we're going to talk about the way of service and humility. Because in Philippians, we're working through Philippians, we're in Philippians chapter 2. If you brought a Bible, or if you want to look on your phone or your tablet, Philippians 2. It talks about the way of humility. Now, again, in, in Jesus' time, it was all about power. Today, very similar. We're going to look at some, it, it's kind of remarkable. It, you know, you've heard that expression, the more things change, the more they say, stay the same. I think you're going to find it remarkable how in Jesus' world, it, it was all about power. And you're going to see some, some obvious similarities between the way it works today and the way it worked then. I think it's interesting. But, but let's read the text. Now, Paul, again, Paul writes this letter. Paul was a guy who started churches all over the world in the first century. And he started a church in a town called Philippi. And he moved on, and, and when he writes this letter, he's in jail. He's been falsely accused and imprisoned, and he writes a letter to his friends back in this church to encourage them. Hey, let me give you an encouraging letter. And, and he writes this, it's four chapters, and it's great stuff, and this is part of it. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, rather... He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. So every week we give a big idea. The big idea for today is that Jesus went to the cross for two reasons. Now, the obvious reason is he went to the cross so that he could take our sins upon himself, to save us from our sins. But, but there's maybe a less obvious reason, and that is he went to the cross to teach us how to live. He humbled himself. He humbled himself. He took the way of humility and service. And again, in Jesus' world, only the powerful were admired. I, I'm going to kind of show you how it worked in that culture. And I think you'll find it interesting. Now, in, in the ancient culture, uh, there were several expressions of status. One is how they dressed. It's really, really kind of interesting. And, and look at this. I'm going to start from the bottom up. But... Uh, in, in the Roman world, about 60% of people were slaves. Now, you have to get out of your mind American slavery and think of it differently. Many times, what, what would happen is people would go and they would conquer another people, and when they did, the doctors and the, and, you know, the, the, the accountants and people of, of high education would become slaves. And so they would then uh, enfold into the community, but they were slaves. Somebody owned them, they worked for them. Um, that, that's kind of how it worked. Now, the slaves just wore a common garb, kind of a toga sort of a, a, a deal. Now, if you were above that, if you were a freedman, not a slave, then you got to wear this goofy little hat that looks, it's kind of a cone hat, and that's what you would wear. And you would wear that because you wanted to make sure people knew you weren't a slave. Now, the one step above that is if you weren't a slave and you were a Roman citizen, well, well, now you got to wear a certain toga called the toga um, virilis, the, the toga of manhood. You got to wear this, this toga that said, not only am I uh, not a slave, I'm free and I'm Roman. And they had certain privileges as a Roman. 
Now, if you were above that, if you were the equestrians, that doesn't mean you rode horses. Uh, it was a, a, actually, they did ride horses, but still, um, it was the next level up. If you were an equestrian, you, you wore the toga virilis, but you also got to bling it up a bit. And you got to wear golden rings. And so, if you were walking down the street and you saw somebody in a toga virilis and they had rings on, you would say to yourself, oh, well, these people are high status. Now, now, there's a higher status, the, the senators. Th this was the highest group. Um, in our society, think uh, preachers. Okay, uh, the highest group, the senators. Now, the senators would, would not only have the, the toga virilis and the, and the bling, but they would also... They would also have a, a golden, not gold, a, a purple sash, kind of a, a not a cape, but but there would be purple. They would wear purple, and again, really easy to identify. So if you're walking down the street and a guy is blinged up and a guy has purple on, you know it's time to respect. And that's the way that society worked. You you dressed. Wasn't there an expression in in our world? You dress for success. These people, you knew who they were because they dressed for success. And it was an issue in that society. Now, James was a guy who followed Jesus, was his half-brother, was the, um, kind of the head person in the church in Jerusalem. And he writes about this. And he said, suppose someone uh, comes into your meeting, uh, your church service, dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry. Do you, now you know what he's talking about. If an equestrian or a senator comes into your, into your meeting, if you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to poor people, hey, you stand over there or else you sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? Now, what's really interesting about this is Roman law dictated that you show special attention to people who had high status. Legally, you didn't have a choice but what James is saying, what, what, what the Bible tells us is it, it, you do have a choice. Even though legally it might say this is what you're supposed to do, you're not to do that in church. It's not supposed to be about status. So their clothing was a sign of, of their status. Also, their occupation. Now, if you were in the higher echelon, you leisured. You didn't work. You had people do stuff for you. My people will get with your people, you know, that kind of thing. And you had slaves and you owned land and your, your deal was to sit around in leisure and let other people do the work. That, that was sort of what they did. By the way, um, sort of as a, an aside a little bit, in Roman law there was, there was a, a set of law for Roman citizens and a set of law for not Roman citizens. And if you weren't a Roman citizen, if you were a Roman citizen, you could not be crucified. You were never crucified. Um, crucifixion came to informally be known as slaves' punishment. Only people who were like knots of high status could be crucified. Now, if you'll recall, if you think back or look back sometime at Philippians 1.1. Think about how Paul described himself. This letter is from Paul and Timothy What's the word he uses? Slaves. This is basically cultural identity suicide. For, for, for you to not be... By the way, Paul was incredibly well educated. He was brilliant. He was a rabbi. I mean, he was a Pharisee. He was, he was a high echelon guy in Jewish life. For him to put that aside 
Well, okay, then he's practicing what he preaches because he said, have the same mindset as Christ who humbled himself. For Paul to say, I'm a, I'm a slave of Christ, he is, he is showing you what it looks like. He humbled himself. Seating at public events was all about status. Think about how this resembles today. If you were closest to the stage, you were the most important. So you could go into any room and tell who was important and who wasn't. The further back, sorry, this is just for illustration's sake. Uh, the further back, the worse it was. If you sat up front, you were the wealthy people. One time, one of the best experiences of my life, I got tickets. Now, I'm, I'm from Kentucky. We love basketball. I got tickets courtside. Can I get a witness? I mean, it was awesome. Got a tickets courtside at a University of Kentucky basketball game. It was me and the basketball players. I mean, it was that close. One of them dripped sweat on me. It was, I was that close. I didn't wash my arm for a week. I mean, it was awesome. And I, I remember walking down to those seats. Now, I was dressed like this. Most people that have those seats, you don't get those seats just showing up. Those seats aren't ones you get on the street. You want to know how I got those seats? I knew somebody who knew somebody who had given a million dollars. Yeah, I hadn't given a million dollars. I hadn't given a dollar. Uh, but uh, this guy had given a lot of money. So I, it, was, it, was, it, was a great, it was a great experience. Miriam and I walked down, and the usher looked at us like, you don't belong here, brother. I mean, uh, uh, whoa, whoa, whoa. It was kind of that, kind of, he had a little attitude. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It was the, where do you think you're going? I, I, he didn't say it, but I knew what he was thinking. I could see it in his eyes. And I said, well, <laughs> it, it wasn't maybe the nicest, but I said, hey, hey, I'm sitting right there on the other side of you. Here's my ticket. And he let me in, and, and everybody around us was looking at us like, why are you here? Well, because status says that really wasn't where I was supposed to be. Okay, in the first century, you were seated where you belonged. This is kind of how it worked. By the way, interestingly enough, uh, at private parties, again, there was a seating order. You know, uh, you, you sat in certain spots according to uh, your, your position. And if you wanted to kind of... Uh, show out a little bit, you would invite people of lesser status to attend your party, so you got a higher seat. It was like an ancient dinner for schmucks. I mean, that's kind of what you did. You would invite schmucky people to come so that it would make you look better. And this is really funny. If you were of inferior rank, you got inferior food. You got beans and weenies. I mean, you know, you're lucky to get in. And so you got beans and weenies, everybody else is eating steak and lobster. That's kind of how it worked. So their clothes, their occupation, where they sat. They would give these gifts. If you were really, really wealthy, you would give a gift, and, and they would build a building, and they would name it after you. We never hear of that today. That's how it worked. There was a guy named um, Plutarch. I, if I had had a son, Plutarch Vest has a ring. Anyway, um, Plutarch was sort of a historian, and this is what he wrote. Most people think that to be deprived of a chance to display their wealth is to be deprived of wealth 
itself. <laughs> Interesting. Titles were a big deal. Um, if you had a title, you know, you were the senator or whatever. And, and so there, there was a guy by the name of, of, of Augustus Caesar. And he wrote um, a little memoir. Uh, it was called The Deeds of Augustus Caesar. Penned by Augustus Caesar. Now, <laughs> what I'm about to read for you and what you're about to read was not considered embarrassing in the time. But this is what he writes about himself. In my 19th year, on my own initiative and at my own expense, I raised an army with which I set free the state. 21 times I was named emperor. 55 times in my triumphs. These were little parades. Nine kings or children of kings were led before my chariot. That was humiliating. If you got captured and you were the king's son or you were the king, you, were in front of the, you walked in front of the chariot of the person who had conquered you. Very humiliating. The Senate voted yet more triumphs for which I well, declined. Very modest. Um, I was highest ranked senator for 40 years. I held the office of Pontifus Maximus. All citizens with one accord unceasingly prayed in every holy place for my well-being. Well, sure they did. Because uh, 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 you're a really, really great guy, according to you. Um, our friend Plutarch wrote a book, wrote, wrote a scroll at that time. It was How to Praise Yourself uh, Inoffensively. That, that was the name of the book. And this wasn't deemed offensive. Now, it's sort of safe to say that um, humility didn't really, wasn't really admired in the first century. Everybody, you know, you have to understand the culture sometimes to understand the Bible. The culture was every man for himself, if I can step on your neck to get up to the higher rung on the ladder, this is what I'm going to do. There is a pecking order, and, and I'm going to do everything I can to get over on you to get higher up. Into this world, Jesus offers some better advice. He, he came and said, hey, there's a way for a more meaningful life. Now, I'm going to show you a text. This is so interesting. Jesus had disciples, 12 cats he hung out with, right? They, they were with him all the time. They saw how he, how he dealt with people. They saw how he taught. They heard what he said, right? They, 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 they were fans of his. Twelve, Twelve disciples. And a couple of times in, in the Bible, it records stories of when they're arguing about who would be the greatest, because that was their culture, and that's our culture. And this is what Jesus says to them. You know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people by the way they dress and by where they sit and by <laughs> what they do and by the gifts they give. You, you, you see this. And everybody in the room, he's talking to his disciples, would have said, yeah, we, that's what we want. We're looking to climb the ladder. In fact, they had discussions around, hey, Jesus, who's going to be, we, we know you're really cool, who's going to be at your right hand? That's the most important position. Who's going to be at your left hand? We want those positions. We, he says, you, you know they lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. Well, yeah, because that's, that's where we live. We know that. But among you it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. For even I, the Son of Man, came not to be served but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. And the phrase I want you to look at is, but among you it will be different. Not so. Not so with you. It's different with you. 
And Jesus was basically saying, not everything is as it appears. You've bought into, he's basically saying, you have bought into this notion that if you become wealthy or if you become powerful or if you have prestige, that is the ultimate goal in life. And he's saying, not so. Not everything is as it appears. There's, there's an old story, I love this story. There was a, an African king and, and he had a childhood friend and, and this childhood friend was on his staff as the king and, and the king was going hunting one day and, and the, his childhood friend loaded his gun for him. They were out hunting and, and when he must have loaded it wrong for when the king shot the rifle, it backfired and it blew his thumb off. Now the childhood friend had this sometimes annoying habit of finding the good in every situation. And so even when this, his thumb blew off, he says to the king, this is good. Well, if I'm the king and I just blew my thumb off because you made a mistake, I don't see this as good. And the king didn't see it as good and he got a little frustrated and angry and he threw his childhood friend in jail. About a year later, the king is out hunting again, and he goes to a place where he knows he shouldn't go. He is captured by cannibals who tie him up. They build a fire. They're about to roast him, <laughs> roast the king over an open fire. That's kind of what they're going to do. But as they are prepared to throw him on the fire, they notice that his thumb is missing, and they're very superstitious, and they're not going to eat anybody who's not whole, which is just, just a little... Uh, aside as your pastor if you're ever caught by cannibals cut something off uh that's what you're going to want to do and they let the king that was that was free by the way uh they let the king uh they released him and he went back and on his way back home he's thinking to himself oh my word i threw my friend in jail and and basically he saved me so he goes to his friend in jail and he said here's the story this is what happened um you were right it was good that my thumb was blown off and I didn't see it and I'm sorry and I'm sorry that you've been in jail for a year and the friend said oh my being in jail is also good and the king said how can it be because I, you were right and I was wrong and and the friend said well if I had been with you <laughs> I would have been eaten uh, the, not not everything is as it appears and sometimes we have to look at things differently. And again, Paul is saying in your relationships with one another, though everything else around you screams to strive for power, you should have the same mindset as Jesus, who being in very nature God, didn't consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, but rather he made himself nothing. Having the very nature of a servant, he humbled himself. Not so with you. See, here's the deal. Humility isn't weakness. Humility is real power under control. Who, who is more in control than someone who helps someone who can't help themselves? One of the things I love about Jesus, maybe most about Jesus, is he died for everyone. Not just for people with status, not just for people who have a clean slate, not just for people who clean themselves up. He died for everyone. 
In fact, the only thing that keeps a person away from God's favor is pride. James talks about this. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Pride is a funny thing. Pride causes us to do really odd things. We, we, we break into odd behavior. Uh, recently, uh, one basketball player has kind of started making some commercials. It's the NBA basketball season, and I don't know if you all watch any of that. I kind of like basketball, so I'm going to watch it. And there's a guy named Rick Barry who was a great basketball player. In his day, he shot 89.9% free throws on his free throws. 89.9%. That's really, really good. In fact, over a 15-year career, I think he ranks third or fourth all-time in the NBA free throw shooting. The, the thing is, he, he shot it, kind of, this is Wilt Chamberlain, by the way, but he shot it underhand, gra- granny style. Now, you may have seen there's a kid that plays for Florida. His name is Canyonberry. Guess who he's related to? Rick, that's his dad. And he started shooting these free throws like this. Okay? Now, granted, anybody that shoots a free throw like this looks like a dork. I, I mean, really, uh, you, you got to give it up. It's dorky. Will Chamberlain, in March of 1962, scored 100 points in one game. The night he scored 100 points in one game, he was a notoriously bad free throw shooter. But one year, he started shooting free throws like this. One year. The year he scored 100 points in one game. That game, would you like to know what he shot? He was a, a career 50% free throw shooter. You know when he shot that game? He hit 28 out of uh, 32. Now, after one year, he, he went away from it. And this is a quote. They asked him, Will, why aren't you shooting your free throws granny style? And he said, I feel like a sissy when I shoot that way. Shaquille O'Neal, also horrible. Rick Berry went to him one time and said, hey, man, I can teach you how to shoot the granny shot. This was Shaquille O'Neal's quote. I'd rather shoot 0% than shoot that way. And he pretty much did. I mean, he's horrible. Have you ever seen Shaquille shoot a free throw? It was was like, oh, my word, it was horrible. They even have a thing called hack-a-shack because they wanted to foul him because they knew he could score much less on the free throw line than uh, dunking the ball. Now, pride causes us to miss opportunities. I want you to think about this. If that was your teammate, the, the guy could score more. Well, I don't know about you. I'm pretty sure that scoring more is what, is what your goal is for your team. He's basically saying, I don't care about my team. I want to look cool. It's more important for me to look cool than to help the team. That's, what, that's generally what they say. That, that, that's... That's what pride does for us. Because here's the truth. It is difficult to humble yourself. To admit that you need help is a difficult thing. Now look closely at the language here. Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. James says, humble yourself. Here Paul says, humble yourself. There's sort of this consistent message throughout Scripture where we have to humble ourselves. Now, C.S. Lewis, great author, he wrote Mere Christianity among many other books. He wrote one book called Miracles. And in it, he talks about this humbling of oneself. There's sort of a a stepping down before a lifting up. There's a stepping down before a lifting up. And he illustrates it this way. 
he says it's sort of like a strong man who gets under a load. And he has to get down, and you nearly you kind of lose sight of him underneath it. But once he gets under it, he can lift it up. And then he illustrates it another way. He says it's like a diver. And a diver, he's on the surface of the water, and he dives into the deep. And he goes down where it's dark and cold. But there's a treasure there, and he grasps the treasure, and he comes back up. And I like those pictures because they illustrate to us that there's a going down, there's a stepping down, there's a humbling before, there's a lifting. Basically, we're on two tracks here. First, we humble ourselves for the benefit of ourselves. I have to humble myself and ask Jesus to forgive my sins because I can't do it myself. And, and to lead my life because I can't do it myself. The first humbling or first aspect of humbling is I humble myself for myself. I can't do it myself. I've, I have to have help. The other day I was uh, walking in my neighborhood and, and a, a man who was on one of those little scooters, that you know, little mo- mobile scooters, he said, sir, can, you, can I have a second of your time? I said, yeah. He, he, he came up, he kind of rolled up. You never know what this is going to come, you know, who knows what that's going to be. And he said, I, I have um, um, a disease where my, my joints are deteriorating. But my doctor tells me if I walk, it'll be good for me. Would you mind walking with me down, up and down my cul-de-sac? Now, I've got to tell you something. When a guy says, I need help, when men say, I need help, it's a big deal. So there's a humbling of oneself. There's also a humbling of oneself for the benefit of others. Jesus humbled himself so he could serve us. We humble ourselves so we can serve others. Remember, Jesus went to the cross for two reasons, to save us and to show us. To save us of our sins and to show us how to live. These two things, they're they're kind of important. And what you need to know is that without questioning, humbling yourself will cost you. Because Jesus humbled himself and he died a criminal's death. And this, have you ever bought a product and then you read the fine print and it wasn't exactly what, well, let me give you some examples. The kid's buffet is $4 unless you're a kid 4 to 10 and then you have to buy your drink. Uh, You know, uh, you see ads like this. Uh, these fireworks are free, no gimmicks, except you have to have $10 purchase. I mean, you know, it's, it, it's not exactly what they say. This is my favorite. They, it's a rope with a guy mountain climbing, and it says not suitable for climbing. I, I mean, you know, um, so when I say, hey, you, you humble yourself, it, it's going to cost you. There's no doubt about it. It is going to cost you. Humble yourselves before the Lord. It's the only way you can be lifted up, but it's going to cost you. And we live in a world where Vince Lombardi said winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. And Barbie says believe in yourself. And Malcolm Forbes says he who dies with the most toys wins. Ricky Bobby says if you're not first, you're last. Shake and bake. That's right. I'm the magic man. Now you see me. Anyway, um, I digress. Two aspects of lifting. Have you ever seen a kid who didn't want to be lifted? Anybody ever had this kid? None of the, none of the preacher's daughters ever do this. But uh, I know some of other people's kids do this kind of thing. To be lifted up, you have to be willing to be lifted up. I mean, if you had them, they're in your arms and they're mad at you and they just fling themselves. 
Okay, you have to be willing. There has to be a willingness. Because you can't get lifted. I mean, dead weight is hard to lift. I don't care how big they are. You have to be willing. And you have to decide, I'm going to humble myself. Is it worth it to me to receive forgiveness and eternal life in the future and the present? And is it worth it to humble myself and to receive purpose in the now? Because humbling ourselves affects now, it affects our future, and it affects our eternity. Am I willing to humble myself for that? The second aspect of it, of lifting, is there has to be the ability of somebody to lift us. If I'm on the ground, this happens sometimes, at least my my 10-year-old offers to pick me up. That is just, it never works. She's a weak little punk and uh, uh, never helps me one iota. Uh, I can't get up. I mean, you know, I'm still down and she's trying to lift me up. And she's, she's making an effort, bless her heart. She's pathetic. And uh, she can't make it happen. Here's this cool verse, cool verse. By his power, God raised the Lord from the dead and he will raise us also. The one offering to lift us up has the ability to lift us up. If I'm willing, he's able. If I'm willing, he's able. And he proved it. Easter, 2,000 years ago. If he can raise Jesus from the dead, he can lift you up out of anything that you're involved in, any place you are. That's the beauty of the message of Christ. If you're willing, he's able. Now, I gave you the chicken sucker. Don't be chicken. I give you this. Uh, we're going to close with this. Don't be, don't be chicken. Don't be chicken to humble yourself and admit you have a need. Don't be chicken to be different than other people and to serve rather than to be served. 